in which I, Kira, and I, Aoife, who usually does the introduction, that's why it's wild this week. <laughs> it's a it's a good dice roll of an introduction. It could go anywhere, but it's going on a regular, normal feel. Not loving it, but continue. We are two young adults who read young adult fiction, and this week I read Your Welcome Universe by Whitney Gardner, and now I'm going to tell Aoife all about it. Uh, a little bit more context about what we do here. This week, because it is September, we are doing books with something of an education-y theme. I, in two weeks, will be talking to you about Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell, which is about a girl who is starting college. So Kira's, this week, telling me about a book in which a person is dealing with stuff at school, I gather. But other than that, I have no idea what's happening. Yeah, it's actually a lot less about school than I was initially led to believe by the fact that she's changing schools. I was like, oh, she's changing schools? That's going to be an interesting transition. I'll see how that goes. But then it turns out that, like, it went fine and she didn't really talk about school that much. I guess changing schools can be used in young adult fiction as, like, just a good starting point. Because, you know, for there to be a story to tell, something has to be changing. It can't just be the norm continuing. So moving a character from one school to the other is a catalyst to bring about things. We had this before in the book you did where the older brother was in Vietnam. Oh, um... Okay for now. Okay for now by Gary Schmidt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it just occurred to me that I did no research on the author at all. Okay. Uh, read what we've got in the book. So as we usually start with author talk, Kira, tell me a little bit about the person who wrote this book. Uh, the person who wrote this book is Whitney Gardner, and this will become relevant later. She is a hearing person. Okay, as opposed to a person who is hard of hearing or deaf. As a exactly. So. This book was written by Whitney Gardner, who is also an illustrator and cartoonist. And bef- and before she moved to Victoria in the British Columbia. That is Australia, I believe. No. British that- Columbia is America. It's Canada. It's Canada. Hi, Hi. we're European. <laughs> <laughs> North America, eh? Yeah, listen, borders are fake. So also all knowledge is relative. So Victoria, British Columbia. Um, she worked as a school librarian. So she's aces with me. Mm. And um, this was her first book. She has two more afterwards, including uh, Cha- Chaotic Good, which I believe uh, was nominated for a lot of awards. That is a D&D term. It is a D&D term. And I think that that book is D&D-ish. Like, as we record this, my housemate is downstairs running a D&D campaign. So, not to brag, but I've heard of D&D. <laughs> I mean, we've all watched Stranger Things. I have not <laughs> watched Stranger Things. I can't with you. You've never watched anything. Why do we be friends? Because we have a book podcast and I'm a rare, beautiful butterfly who's never watched a TV show or a movie in her life. Is that all the information we have on Whitney Gardner? Uh, she's originally from New York and uh, 
when she was a librarian and an illustrator in New York, she worked a lot in the Bronx, which a lot of this book is set in. Oh, lovely. So, um, um, Whitney Gardner is also a hearing person. Which is you... relevant because our main character is deaf. Yeah, I, I was just going to say for a bit of context, hearing person, which is as opposed to a person who is hard of hearing or part of the deaf community. Yeah, that's D with a it's deaf with a capital D. Mm-hmm. So that's all we have for author talk. That's all we have for author talk. I'm very sorry, listeners. Tell me about the book. So I'm gonna. T- I yeah, I didn't find much about um about Whitney Gardner online, and so I'm just gonna dig right into the book. I really liked this book, and I really enjoyed it while I was reading it. But it didn't. A lot of the books that we do have scenes in them that like stick with me, like. The scene in the church in The Outsiders and in Okay For Now, that scene where he walks into his dad's boss's office and like covers for his dad even though his dad is abusive towards him and and the boss sees through it but like allows him to, to keep the charade and then supports him in other ways. That stuck with me and like other scenes in that book stuck with me and I could probably name a scene in every book that stuck with me really like visually. Mm-hmm. And even though this book is super visual, I'm gonna give it to give you a full rundown in a minute. This book is super visual, but none of it, like I read it about a week ago and I've been thinking about it for a week. Like I've been actively thinking about this book for a week in order to like talk about it on the pod. And none of it really like sticks out on me. Like, I feel like if I talked about it in a year from now, there wouldn't be, like, a scene. Mm. And I get what you mean with that, because, like, even when you were describing that, I was thinking, like, yeah, like, turtles all the way down. I remember the sewer scene. I remember the the the, the bit on the golf course. Like, there's, there's scenes from books that you picture vividly and that stick with you. Do you think it's something to do with the writing style? Or... I don't know. Um, it could be... It could be that a lot of the book... Ideas from the... No, because, like... There wasn't that many scenes that I would say would stick with me from the book I did last month. But the concept of that book, the, of um, of Every Day by David Levison, like, I'm still thinking about that mm-hmm. over a month later. Um, so that really stuck with me. But I don't know. I don't know what it was about this. It could be the everydayness of it. There wasn't like, I don't know. I don't particularly know what it was. What I really want to ask you about, the perspective that I know nothing about this book. Mm-hmm. I just know that you picked it for the month where we said we we're going to do some schoolish things. And also that you've made a point of mentioning that the author is a hearing person. So I guess what made you pick up this book? What made you want to engage with it? And then how does disability come into it? So I've been picking up this book and putting it back on the shelf for about two months. Context, Kira's a librarian. Uh, so I've been seeing this book at work for like two months and I keep picking it up off of the shelf and being like, oh, I want to read this and then putting it back and because I'm reading something else or I have a different book already picked. So then we said we were going to do a book about, about school and in this book, the thing that starts this story is our main character, Julia, has been expelled from her school for the deaf and is transitioning into a mainstream school because she graffitied um, her school and that is not allowed. That's fun. Yeah, she is a graffiti artist. That is a massive part of her of her being. And like she's just very, very creative, very art driven, but she is particularly driven by 
graffiti and street art. What age is she? She is 17. And you said she, you said this book was based in the Bronx. Yeah. This sounds like one of the coolest kids in the fucking world. (laughs) She is super cool and she also has two moms. This is the coolest child in the world. So, so. In terms of identity politics. In terms of identity politics, Julia has a lot going on. She has, um, she herself is, is not, is not queer. So she, she herself is straight, but her moms are gay. Um, she is, she is mixed race, uh, Asian American. Okay. And. Are her mothers an interracial couple? They are an interracial couple. Um, one of her moms is white and her other mom is Indian. Okay. Um, and that is her biological mother. Mm -hmm. Um, but she does, she's like. I look a lot like my bio mom, but me and my other mom have the same hands. Our hands are the same. And she's like, I know it's no trick of genetics, but we have this, our hands just look so alike. And it's something that she re- she makes a point of talking about and really likes. And if she's a visual artist, that probably has a lot of emotional yeah. impact. Cause... And also it's super significant because both of her parents are deaf. Okay. And she is also deaf, and her bio biological father is deaf. That's actually really interesting. I read an article a few years ago on, you know, there's a lot of anxiety about the idea of designer babies, and at what point people are... At what point it's unethical to choose, like, fashionable traits for your kid to have. But one of the things the article writer mentioned was same-sex couples who are having their own children through sperm and egg donation they would choose donors who were congenitally deaf and had like hereditary causes of deafness because the deaf community and i mean because the deaf community is a very strong community in a lot of places in the world and they have social it's a subculture and much like queer people having kids they might not necessarily belong to the subculture they may not actually be queer and they may not actually be deaf but like if they want their kids to be part of the same culture it helps if they're deaf and like what is the ethics for that then it's really interesting yeah there was an episode of private practice which was a spin-off from Grey's Anatomy in which they wanted and it it happened within like private practice was a family-based practice that predominantly that predominantly worked with reproductive health care and there was an episode in which there was two there was two little people who were looking to get pregnant and Addison who was the doctor was like cool we will make sure that you have an average baby and they were like no 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 that's not what we're looking for here Mm. um because again that is also like a tight-knit community and they were like we want to raise our child within our community yeah and for them to be included and Addison had a whole ethical debate about whether or not that was cool that's really interesting that like yeah that just does highlight how communities build up around disability and then there's you know one of the key debates of disability which i which i think i brought up in the episode on how i live now is you know to what extent disability is like inherent and how much it's a disability in that you're less able to get on in the world we've created but also people with disabilities should be part of they should be an accepted part of society that gets to have a say in the society that we're creating together so that it doesn't actively exclude certain people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I will say that they did not like choose their donor 
in order to like guarantee or up the chances that their child would also be deaf mm-hmm. it's that they chose a friend of theirs happened to be also and deaf their friend was deaf yeah because partly that's the community that they were running in in the same way that if either of us were to look for a donor for a child they would probably be a gay man because those are the friends that we have who yeah yeah it's not that we're like ooh, we'll up our chances of having a gay child by having all gay genes i can't think of a single cisgender heterosexual person who i mean i guess man if they're cisgender and heterosexual and able to provide sperm um (laughs) who i would ask to donate so yeah fair yeah is she an only child so julia is an only child um and that's her family kind of they're all deaf uh ASL, American Sign Language, is their first language and this does cause some problems for Julia when she... So Julia initially initially has been going to uh, school for the deaf her entire life but due to this incident, her friend Jordan, who has many boyfriends, got called a slut on the wall of their school. Jordan complains it to the school, Julia complains it to the school, the school says that they'll look into it, that they'll deal with it and like three weeks later nothing has been done. So Julia, who is an aspiring street artist, decides to cover it up herself. Um, Book actually has this nice thing where it intersperses itself, like the book intersperses itself with pictures of what Julia is doing with when she like describes her graffiti and the work that and the art that she is making mm-hmm. the book does give us like a visual representation not just like I have several questions to ask and I'm gonna try triage them it's a deaf school she's in a deaf community um I know a little bit more about the deaf community in Ireland we're both hearing people but at it's something I've just learned about, you know, passively. Names in the deaf community are often, in, in sign language, you have like the name that you write down that uh, you can fingerspell to people when you're introducing yourself, but people are much more commonly known by a nickname, which is often based on like a salient trait. Like I know someone whose nickname was Teeth because when she was learning uh isl because she was doing as a as a translator and interpreter uh she had braces so (laughs) so uh her her nickname became teeth and that's what people mostly refer to her as in casual conversation is that an element in this book yes it is um which i'm actually going to get to later julia's is a j down your ring down your wedding ring finger Mm -hmm. um because she is the jewel of india julia that is her indian mother named her this I like that. I'm not sure if I know. Is that the symbol for India or something? No, it's just because she's a jewel. Ah, like an engagement ring. Yeah, so it's like it's a J, and then like her her mom took the jewel theme pretty far. Um, and yeah, there's also a thing of like changing. As far as I'm aware, changing your name within like the deaf community is slightly different because as you grow you can you could be you could have a name as a young person yeah that suits you as a young person that doesn't suit you as an older person yeah and as far as i'm aware you can change your name mm-hmm. um and she has okay so. and the do do we get any other characters names? um we don't get the we don't particularly get like the movements the hand the hand movements for other people's names we get um YP's name she later she makes a friend later in the book who she calls YP which stands for yoga pants mm-hmm. because she's always wearing yoga pants and Julia also doesn't make a lot of effort to like 
learn people's names mm-hmm. because she doesn't really need them that much herself. Yeah. Um, she has an interpreter when she goes to the mainstream school and she's like, I can just refer to people and my interpreter will d- tell me. D- tell me. So she, a lot of the people in the school, like to a higher... D- so part of it is that Julia doesn't want to make friends. Mm-hmm. She's not interested in making friends with the people in her school. So this adds like a layer of distance. But also because within the community you do refer to people predominantly by a nickname which is often based on a physical trace she does she does just refer to people um she calls one guy there's one guy called um kyle strokers who she refers only by kyle fucking strokers and i will allow this curse because it's a quote um but she also predominantly refers to him um in shorthand of kfs interesting that is really cool. Names are so interesting to me. Like, uh, coming from rural Ireland, nicknaming is a big thing because traditionally everyone would have the same names, really, because you'd have family names. So if you had a family with, like, four different John McGoverns in it, one would be, like, Shan John or something, or, like, Sean even. Like, people would be given nicknames that are entirely different given names, and then you'd have nicknames based on character traits. I knew a man named Wendy Flynn because his hair is always extremely sticking up. Like it was caught in the wind. Yeah, Wendy Flynn. Amazing. Um, I really thought it was going to be a fart joke. Yep, no. um, It's actually really fun because I went to school with his daughter and her nickname was Bean. So yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I'm really interested in names and nicknaming. The other thing I was going to say is obviously her mothers are both deaf. She was going to a deaf school but as a street artist, mm-hmm. did she have to interact with a lot of hearing people or was there a subculture or community she was enmeshed in there? She does a little tagging, not a lot. Um, she mainly does her interacting with street art online. Um, there's a site that she goes to where she talks to other people. There's a lot of graffiti street art community slang within the book mm-hmm. that took me a little while to get used to. And I don't know how accurate it is because I have never street arted. I have, in fact, never arted. I am not an art with... A visual artist. I am not a visual artist. Your verbal I... skills, though, top notch. <laughs> I sometimes make th- I sometimes craft. There I is, never art. There is a street nearby us where someone has written pomegranate on the side of a building. And the O of pomegranate, they've made into a little smiley face. It's very simple and I love it very much. Every time I walk past it, I'm like, yeah. So, like, one of the things they say is, like, toy, as in people who are just playing around. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're just toys. And it's kind of like saying, like, instead of being, like, a rookie mistake, she's like, I made a toy mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things she fancies is she works in a McDonald's. Okay. Herself and her friend Jordan, who is also deaf but has a cochlear implant and so is, is hearing yeah um she's both yeah they both work in mcdonald's and throughout the novel their friendship deteriorates because jordan does not back up julia at all when she gets caught for doing the graffiti on the school um and it becomes clearer and clearer that their friendship was one of convenience Mm -hmm. because a lot of people didn't like jordan because they thought she was 
running around with all these boys and they were a bit hating towards her. Yeah, a lot of people didn't have a lot of time for Jordan. Judging her for her romantic. They were judging her for her, like, relationships and the speed that she went through people and different things like this. Even the phrase Um, going through people is pretty... Yeah. Yikes. (laughs) It's yikes. And Julia kind of self-isolates a lot and she was like, I wasn't I didn't I wasn't friends with these people and I didn't suffer for it in any way because I had my friend Jordan and we got each other and Mm -hmm. I did my art and I had my like street art and I was doing fine but then it turns out like she doesn't really have Jordan Jordan either like their relationship was just very we are both people without friends so we will be friends Mm -hmm. um and so their relationship deteriorates over the book and it re- like it doesn't improve like they don't it wasn't that like they were very good friends and they need to make up it's just they were friends for the time because it suited both of their needs mm-hmm. um and it is surprising to julia that like their friendship hasn't like improved or doesn't come back but anytime that she like takes a minute to like reflect on it she's also like it wasn't a good friendship we didn't have a super lot in common but we both didn't want to be alone. I so. I kind of like that narrative being explored in a book because obviously there are great friendships that you'll experience in this life. There are people who once they come into your life will stay there. There's people who like even if you're separated by time and circumstance were very important to you. And there are people who just kind of fill a gap. And I feel like as a society, we feel like things have to last forever to be important but like you can be really good friends with someone but then it doesn't work and like an advantage to a friendship can be really geographically convenient yeah like I imagine it's kind of devastating for Julia because she has so few people in her life anyway she does have very few people in her life and also she is being uprooted because like Jordan continues to go to to the school that they were going to together whereas Julia has to uproot her life in order to go to a school that is 40 minutes away by car mm. um which adds to her commute every day that's a lot for and the Bronx it, it she has to go outside of the Bronx oh fuck why because that's the nearest school that could let her in Oh, okay, so I, I don't know much Like, she's about. moving school during school term. Oh, okay. Um, so she has to travel 40 minutes each way to school every day. And also, she is going to a mainstream school, which means that nobody speaks her language. Mm-hmm. Because, again, American Sign Language is her first language. She, she reads and understands English, and she lip-reads to a certain degree. She's not great at it. Not every deaf person is great at lip reading. It's actually incredibly hard. Yeah, lip reading is a difficult skill to learn. And also things like accents can throw you off. And even if you have like the best honed lip reading skills in the world, there's an inherent amount of guesswork because uh, actually a lot of the noises we make for language, we make in non-visible parts of the mouth. Yeah, um... My granddad is deaf mm-hmm. and he lip reads quite a lot and he's been lip reading. He became he became deaf in later life, um, starting in his mid forties. And so he did a lot of like lip reading classes and he's he's forty years lip reading. He's not great at it. Mm. Um 
And also because his sleep, his speech has now deteriorated, we spend a lot of time lip-reading what he is trying to say. We're not great at it either. It is a very difficult skill to master. So yeah, uh, Julia is really out of her element. Uh, she does get... Um, um, she does have an interpreter who's called Casey and going back to and going back to sign names one of the things about sign names is that unless you are deaf you cannot choose your own sign name mm -hmm. so hearing people have to be assigned a name by a deaf person and Casey really wants a name she really wants to be given a name and not have her name constantly spelled out mm -hmm. um she is a hearing person who has gone to college to study sign language and is like kind of like a person who goes to college to study Spanish mm -hmm. and then goes to Spain and is like, I want to be immersed in this culture. And uh, the people in Spain are like, yeah, but you're not Spanish. Mm -hmm. You are, you're just a step outside. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of Casey's situation. And so she desperately wants a sign name and any and but you also can't like just straight up ask for one yeah you have to just wait patiently it's your like interactions with the community that gets to the point that people care about you and talk about you enough that they don't want to keep finger spelling yeah and julia is cruel to casey is um, casey young casey is young this is like her first job i will say that there is like there is conflict in their relationship, partly because both of them are doing their respective roles badly. Mm -hmm. So Casey is an interpreter. Strictly speaking, if you are not interpreting for someone and you are an interpreter, you should just be a shadow. Yeah. Strictly speaking, you should not be necessarily... It's very difficult to, to, to work with a person all day and not just chat to them. Mm -hmm. But strictly speaking, if you are an interpreter... You just tell the person what other people are saying. Mm -hmm. You are not their friend. You yeah. are not their coworker. You are a support. A, a support. Um, but this is Casey's first job, and yeah. she's super enthusiastic, and she does overstep her her role a number of times. Mm -hmm. Um, so she's supporting this this student in school. She'll say things like, do you have your homework with you? Mm -hmm. And Julia's like, it's none of your business whether or not I did my history homework. Mm -hmm. That's It's not your problem to yeah. like solve it. You don't need to check in with me. You don't need to, we don't need to be friends. Like you're a support worker, but you're a support worker who's meant to provide one specific support. And Casey's trying to be... More than that. Yeah, generally supportive, which is not yeah. the role. Yeah. And she keeps, like, encouraging Julia to make friends and tries to, like, introduce Julia to people. And Julia's like, is that person talking to me? Stop. Mm -hmm. And to a large extent, I completely agree with Julia because I'm like, yeah, those things are not actually Casey's job. Mm -hmm. But I'm also like, maybe you should be nice to the people around you. Especially if that person has to, for money, spend all of her time with you. Both things can be true. I'm, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Like yeah. Both things are true. I'm like, Casey needs to step back and do her job description better. But also, Julia needs to understand that the, pe that the people working with her are still people hmm. like it both are true so and also like julia's a teenager i'm like i'm cutting her some slack she's a teenager but she's also a moody ass teenager yeah she's a teenager but also she is 17 yeah by the time you're 17 and everyone's situation is unique and everyone develops skills at a certain 
personal uh, like pace. But once you're 17, you should have kind of gotten over kind of that phase where you think that every single human being other than you is an idiot clown who doesn't see things as deeply as you do. Because I went through that phase when I was between 12 and 15. Oh, mine lasted well into my 20s. <laughs> I've... Jeez. Kira, you're well into your 20s right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, I still don't think other people are as complex as me. <laughs> It's- I am Pony Boy. I need to learn this lesson with every individual I meet. <laughs> That's why we have a podcast. <laughs> As John Green said, you must imagine others complexly. Okay, so Julia's experience in this book is mainly just settling into this new school. What's her parents' reaction to? They are very disappointed and very upset, and they. Do they understand at all that she was defending a friend? They do. But they feel that she should have let the school sort it out because the school said that they would have they would sort it out and not progress to an illegal act. Mm-hmm. Um, they are very very supportive of Julia's art, but they don't understand why she feels the need to do street art. It's not and a phase, moms. It's who I really am. Yeah, but it's. It's partly that they they don't understand the street art aspect. Yeah. And what Julia's and Julia's view is that she is improving. She is she's not just throwing up randomness. Mm-hmm. Everything she puts up is meaningful in some way and has a purpose and brings beauty to what is around her. Like like every art form Street art occupies a specific social and cultural and political space. And so it makes sense that, like, it would appeal to people that other artistic mediums wouldn't. And I, I just have a lot of respect for street artists because, like, a lot, some of it is turf war, but a lot of it is about taking control over an urban space that often people feel they don't have any control over. Interesting that you would mention turf war. Mm-hmm. Because the main plot of this book is our girl Julia getting into a turf war. Okay, but she has no backup though. It's not she a has, war. She has no turf backup. She has no backup. Um. I... So on one of after so there's a boy in McDonald's where mm-hmm. she works that uh she thinks is pretty cute. Um, and he's a hearing boy, mm-hmm. and we we have reason to believe over the course of the book, that he also fancies her. We also have reason to suspect him as being the person that she is turf-warring with, graffiti-warring with. Mm-hmm. Um, he is one of a number of suspects. He is eventually ruled out mm-hmm. as being one. And the next... I was on Julia's side when she thought that it might be Donovan because I was like, yeah, the things that he is saying make sense. Is Donovan it- his surname? No, Donovan is his first name because he's American. Americans are weird like that. Yeah. And he, he like, learns a little bit of sign and is talking to her a bit. But then it turns out that he is also, like, dating Jordan, who also works at the McDonald's. And she hadn't told Julia? Uh, Well, Jordan has a conversation with Julia where she's like, hey, I know that you were interested in Donovan, but you're not anymore, right? And kind of like dominates the conversation and hasn't apologized for the fact that 
she asked Julia to graffiti over the graffiti that like slurred her like and then ratted her out to the administration. I hadn't put together that Jordan had actually asked. Oh no, yeah, she asked her to do it. Okay. Um, and is basically like, but you didn't have to, so and you got caught, so it's your own fault. Mm. Um so she does technically ask, can she go out with Donovan? But Julia's like super annoyed with her and doesn't really like get into the conversation and doesn't want to admit that she has feelings for Donovan either. So they start dating, um, but Donovan's being like super flirting with her and also like makes reference to the fact that he knows that she is doing graffiti mm-hmm. um, and she doesn't know how he knows this because she's hidden her spray bottles in like a secret compartment in her backpack and has mm-hmm. made sure that like there's no paint on her backpack and mm-hmm. everything but she has got paint on the cuffs of her jumper after that she like goes out and and like does a does a piece and then like destroys her jump like bins her jumper mm-hmm. and stuff and is like this was a goodbye to my jumper Um, And another way that Donovan pieces together that she is spray painting is that he can hear the rattle in the spray bottles, which Julia didn't know that they did. Oh! Because she can't hear it. Yeah. And before we learn about that, there is a scene where she, like, takes her keys off the ring and, like, slips her house keys and her car keys under her shoes Mm-hmm. Um, so that they won't make a jingling noise and she references she's like I know the keys are noisy because there's always that subtitle in in movies and TV that says keys jingling oh that but is there's smart. never that there's never that caption for spray bottles and so she doesn't realize that they also make a noise because it's just not as common as a cultural artifact that's yeah. cool um, and he gives her magnets to put on the bottom of them which we further later learn is actually useless because most of those little balls are made out of glass or ceramic. Oh, but he tried. <laughs> he tried. Um, and what happens is when she does find out who the person who is doing the rival rival art is, they kind of team up and they're like, what toy gave you that trick? Yeah. And she's just like, I didn't know. Do they have any top tips? On- they do have a lot of top tips. I'll get to them. Can, can, I, can I learn? What is... What do you do to stop your spray bottles making a noise? Um, you just have to deal with the fact that they make noise. Okay. Um, but also the ways to get rid of it. Get The ways to get around being caught for graffiti, it would appear, is to treat all of your materials as disposable. Mm-hmm. And that means that you dump them all immediately after you do the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you also wear gloves. So that you can, you don't get paint on your hands mm-hmm. and you wear um, a nose and mouth protection so that the spray doesn't go stuck up your nostrils to show that there is paint fumes in there. That's also just a good general health. Um, it's good general health that Julia initially is like, oh, I've never seen the point of that before because she is handed like a, th- a mask to wear and she mm-hmm. wears it. But she's like, oh, I never saw the point. And then they are like immediately caught by the cops who like check up their noses and she's like oh okay okay i get it now because julia this may not be clear but she thinks much more highly of herself than is actually accurate in terms of experience in the art world that was the impression i was getting yeah like she's in new york this isn't like you know somewhere like where i grew up if if someone wanted to be a street artist like there's there's a lad at my school who did stencils um which were all caricatures of the teacher and sprayed them around school 
and was never caught because no one knows the signs. <laughs> no one had done this before. But she's in New York. Yeah. This is an amateur hour. But also, part of the problem is that, like, unless you were, like, literally caught with a can in your hand spraying the wall, mm-hmm. um, it's super hard to prosecute. So mm-hmm. you basically just deny everything. Yeah. Don't keep materials on you and deny everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some top tips for your listener. Um, we aim to educate. Yeah. So Donovan is her initial, like, first guest as to, guess as to who is her rival is. Mm-hmm. And what is... Is this also kind of like Never Bite a Boy on the First Date, where it's like, ooh, who is my rival and also my crush? Um, not really. Um, she, she is crushing on Donovan, and she's crushing on Donovan for most of the book. But Donovan turns out to be a little bit of an asshole. Hmm. He has a reputation for dating his co-workers. That's just always a bad move. It is not always ideal to date your co-workers. And he also proposes to Julia at one point that they should fool around behind Jordan's back. And Julia is like, we should not do that. You're dating Jordan. I don't, I don't want to do that. That's a terrible idea. Um, and Donovan's like, ah, but she doesn't need to know. No, that's not healthy and non-monogamy. And she's super jealous of us anyway. So like, why not? And Julia's just like, this is terrible and she's a little bit like he doesn't he wants to mess around with me but he doesn't want to date me because i am i am full death as Mm -hmm. opposed to jordan who is death but also has an amount of hearing due to her cochlear implant she kind of passes she passes a lot more than julia and julia they both work at mcdonald's and they initially got the job as part of an outreach program that their school runs but because julia has very limited spoken english she is reduced to just running the fryer Mm -hmm. so that's her entire job is making chips Mm -hmm. in mcdonald's whereas jordan um also works the the cashiers Mm -hmm. works the register and like takes orders and things because she has a level of hearing um and so julia is like oh he wants to be with jordan because it's it's the easier option but he still wants to like mess around with me because he fancies me and like Mm. they do do a lot of flirting like cake and eat it he yeah he wants both he wants kind of a shithead and he doesn't mind cheating then yeah he's gonna so we don't like donovan we don't like donovan donovan uh later breaks up with uh jordan in order to date another co-worker so jesus christ dude don't shit where you eat yeah he's the worst um, I think 60% of people have an office romance at some point in their life. And this is a statistic I got from a work training event <laughs> I attended. Was it discouraging you from dating your co-workers? I forget what the context was. I just remember it immediately became an in-joke in my office because two people had been <laughs> begun dating very recently. Um, so... When Julia thinks it's Donovan, I was kind of like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, he's noticing the signs of, like, you being a street artist. It would make sense if he was also a street artist. That he would notice these things more readily than someone who wasn't. Mm -hmm. But we rule him out pretty quick. And once he's ruled out, Julia thinks that it could be her art teacher. And Julia has a number of reasons for believing this. And at no point was I on board. (laughs) Is it the art teacher in the new school? It's the art teacher in the new school. The new school that is 40 minutes away from where Julia lives. She is tagging in the new area. Okay, okay. Um, Which is like... 
doesn't have a lot of tags around. So mm. when she initially tags, she does the, the little stick man on um on a on a stop sign, mm-hmm. and she just does a little a little a little one. But someone almost immediately comes along and and skeletonizes mm-hmm. the little stick man. That's like their first. The first tag that gets mm-hmm. taken. And then later she does this beautiful wail. She makes friends with, with this girl called YP. Yeah. Who's called Yoga Pants. And uh, YP is overweight. Mm-hmm. And is having a hard time at school because of it. Mm-hmm. And her former boyfriend is um, Kyle, KFS. YP maintains that he no longer wants to date her because she is fat. Mm-hmm. And so they have a lot of conversations about this. And Julia, bless her, has not been raised with the fat phobia that the majority of society mm-hmm. experiences. Mm-hmm. And she's just like, yeah, you're a little bit bigger than than average, but that doesn't make you less of a worthy person. Yeah. What are you talking about? It's like, oh, people can have different types, I guess. You're like, oh, no, no, no. Society thinks that fat women are fundamentally inhuman. Yeah, yeah. And partly due to, like, the way, like, that ASL is set up, Julia is just like, it's a it's a descriptor for you. It is not you. I would be actually really interested, and I understand it, it might not come up in this book, but intersecting oppressions and intersectionality within the deaf community I would be really interested to learn more about because I mean obviously Julie has two mothers uh one of them's also not white like these things are oppressions in our mainstream society and there's always social dynamics around such things do we get any um any idea do we get an idea on whether those differences also have significance within the deaf community or if it's small no, enough that we don't we don't spend a lot of time within the deaf community it actually we don't spend a lot of time in the deaf community in like the way that like two weeks ago the whole the whole book two weeks ago um geography club mm-hmm. was entirely around them coming together and yeah. making their own community that's not really anything that happens here i think she goes to like one deaf event and it's not even like really it's kind of glossed over for the most part so it's kind um, of like she was if she's been raised in this community it might be like having to go to the religious group that one of your parents feels really strongly about and you're like yeah i guess i'm technically yeah like she does connect with the deaf community very strongly and she but she's also like i am not the community's greatest advocate in terms of like not every queer person is ready to stand up and defend everything of the queer community and mm-hmm. explain different aspects of different identities. Um, she is not ready to stand up and explain why deafness is its own community, why it's a capital D deaf. Mm-hmm. She's like able to give the basics of it, but she's like, my mom would be so much better at doing this she's a conversation an, she's an edgy she's a, teen she's an edgy teen which i i rep- appreciated i was like she's like i am not i am not here to explain the nuances of this to you you'll have to find someone else to talk to if you want to do that that's really good for a ya book because a conversation we've had before on and off air is about how as queer people uh a lot of the storylines in books are about queerness and in a very rote way where it's the same story over and over and so it's really nice to have you know uh queer books which aren't around coming out or first relationships and queer books where that's an element but there's a twist and then queer books where the queerness is just there 
Yeah. And something else is the focus. The the queerness in this book is just there. And like, the deafness. I'm, I am highlighting the... And the deafness. Yeah. Um, I'm highlighting the queerness mostly because that relates to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the deafness is more of a focal point because she is having a harder time making herself clear. Mm-hmm. Because the people around her are not deaf. Does any of that mo- does any of that motivate her art? Uh, not really. Okay. But so going back, I was talking about she does a whale. Mm-hmm. She does a whale street art piece, and that is motivated by her conversation with YP about like being because YP is very strong of the opinion that being bigger is not better, mm-hmm. and and Julia's like that's so stupid. Mm-hmm. Sometimes things have to be bigger and being bigger doesn't mean that it's any less worthy than things that are smaller and then she's like where would the world be without all of these things and one of the things she comes to is like a whale and so she does this mural of a whale uh, um, at the back of a scoreboard um, at the baseball pitch Mm -hmm. and she's like super proud of it and like super happy and we get a picture of it it's actually very beautiful Mm -hmm. But then, like, the next day, she's passing it on her way to school, and it has been spray-painted over with a skeleton. A whale skeleton? A whale skeleton. So, like, an atomically correct whale skeleton. Anatomically. An anatomically correct whale skeleton. That's Which, pretty, like, takes some work. That's pretty impressive. Like, either this person knows their shit, or, like, brought out their phone and, like, devised a design right there and then. Yeah, it's really cool. So Julia takes this as like a throwdown. Can I say one thing about whales before we continue? Yes. Whales are actually a really important carbon sink because, you know, people talk about planting trees and seagrass and stuff as being really important for taking carbon out of the atmosphere. But actually whales are really, really good for that because they're obviously very large carbon-based life forms. They take a huge amount of carbon out of the atmosphere as they grow and eat food. And then when they die, they sink to the bottom of the ocean and it all gets trapped. Like they actually long-term store carbon. Like they're, they get, they're, they continue to be part of the food system. Um, there's some really cool, weird videos on YouTube if you want to watch like a time-lapse of starfish nope. eating a whale. I don't want to do that. But all of that stays at the bottom of the ocean. So they're actually really, really good for combating global warming and climate change. Cool. I will sponsor a whale to be planted in the ocean. <laughs> You just drop it. <laughs> I'll just drop one in the ocean. Okay. Like that, fa- fla- like that flower pot that's fell from space. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh god. So um, whale skeleton. So, so Julia takes this as like a like a throwdown, mm-hmm. and so she has to do more street art in order to like compete with this other artist who keeps arting over her art does this person have their own original pieces anywhere no okay well then that's kind of mean um but oh it's kind of it is like a throwdown but Mm -hmm. it's also like this thing and yp is like i need to talk more about yp because yp is great Mm -hmm. but that's a side note for now when julia explains this whole thing to yp and like what's going on with the street art and everything yp keeps being like why does it have to be a war like the pieces are being elevated like the your art is amazing and then with this new art on top it's even better that's a non-consensual collaboration 
<laughs> which is just kind of a shitty thing to do to another person's art. But also, Julia is, like, so annoyed about it, mostly because she's like, my art was good, but this art is better, and that's mm. frustrating. And she does another piece in under the under a highway her art teacher who she has like a slight crush on but like he is totally appropriate Mm -hmm. there's no there's no inappropriateness in their relationship at all but she is like enamored with him Mm -hmm. because she is impressed by his art and Mm -hmm. his ability to teach art Mm -hmm. he plays music in the classroom while they're doing their art projects And in order for her to be included, he's like also the first teacher that understands that when talking to Julia, you should look at Julia Mm -hmm. and not the interpreter. Yeah. And you should also like, you should look at Julia, you should direct your comments to Julia, not to her interpreter. Mm -hmm. And you should look at Julia when Julia's comments are being, are being converted into spoken word. That is interesting. That is cool. It's reminding me of a study I read about language acquisition in babies whose mm-hmm. first language was, was sign and how uh, you have to slightly adapt some of the signs, not sign signs, like the signifiers that children are reaching certain age, certain developmental milestones with regards to language because shared attention is a thing where like Mm -hmm. first you look directly at another person but then you look at that a person you follow their eye gaze and you guys look at the thing together and that's a communicative tool but then if you're speaking through sign which is a visual language you then have to do a different pattern of eye movements to both hold the thing in your attention and hold the other person in your attention, which makes me interested in like, where is Casey sitting? Um, generally speaking, uh, interpreters sit beside, beside the person you were, they, generally speaking, as far as I'm aware, interpreters stand behind or to the side of the person you were talking to so if i was the if i was the deaf if if the deaf person is standing here this isn't gonna work it's a visual medium oh no i understand i then the then the other two you the interpreter would stand next to the hearing person Mm -hmm. or slightly between the hearing person and the deaf person that makes sense to me for some reason i was imagining it like a more traditional disability support scenario where the support worker was sitting beside the so person who's behind, beside or behind yeah but obviously it's visual language she's probably just at the top of the classroom where the teacher is speaking so yeah so she would eat casey would either go beside the teacher or beside in front of julia cool because i like obviously i've seen sign interpreters at events and stuff but i just feel in a it it depends on yeah. like the context so like in order for a private conversation to be best facilitated it makes the most sense if Casey is like between the two people mm-hmm. so that she turns her head essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, within like, I had a, I had a number of lectures in which there was a deaf student and in those cases, the, per- the, the interpreter stood beside, beside or close to the lecturer. And so the, 
the deaf student could look at both the notes and the interpreter in kind of mm-hmm. a single gaze. Um, but yeah, it, the context of the environment is it plays a big role in it. Okay. Uh, before this tangent, we were talking about music in the classroom. Yes. In order to like include Julia, Mr. Kaz like writes out all the lyrics to one of the one of the albums he's playing, and it's mm-hmm. a Beatles album, and he also draws little like little drawings and doodles in and around it so that she has the lyrics and it's also like personalized for her a little bit mm-hmm. which is like real cute yeah um and he mentions that her name is like the a beatles song mm-hmm. and she's like music is whatevs i don't really yeah. get it it's difficult to fully understand it's difficult to fully understand the complexities and nuances of music and also like and also, with some bands, she kind of gets it because she understands the genre that they fit into and mm-hmm. things like this. But she doesn't get the Beatles at all because they filter through so many genres. And also, yeah. genres came from the Beatles yeah. and different things like this. So it's difficult for her to like place them in any way. Mm-hmm. And so she's like, I don't have any time for the Beatles. But the song, Julia, because Mr. Katz gave it to her, um, does like resonate with her partly because mm-hmm. he gave it to her and partly because he put so much effort into it and different things and the next art piece that she does under the highway is inspired by that song mm-hmm. and also it's like a representation of her because it's her name that inspired it and so the art piece it's a woman with seashell eyes and there's like stars and planets around her and it's absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. and almost immediately <laughs> It is also skeletonized. Skeletonized, and it's so beautiful. The and skeleton edition. The skeleton edition is really beautiful, but also the skeleton edition also one ups her because the skeleton edition follows exactly the anatomy of the woman that Julia has put up, mm-hmm. but also but breaks right at the hand so that Julia has a hand that's kind of curved into the woman Mm -hmm. but the skeleton hand is pointing out and when you follow it it points at a water tower Mm -hmm. and the water tower has also been tagged oh so it's a a pure call out that's cool that's good art though yeah i mean i was talking earlier about um you know different art modes appealing to different people who have different cultural and social positionings a lot of street art i guess like i'm feeling a little bit defensive but i'm a writer and if someone else like took a thing i had written and wrote over it that would be really shitty but I guess an element of street art is that it is collaborative. Collab- it's collaborative and it's community based. And if the purpose of street art is to feel and to feel more of a control over the space you inhabit, I mean, by putting art out there, you're giving a, an easel for other people to exert control over. So it's inherently, yeah, you have to kill your ego and let people do stuff to your art because you put it in a public place. Yeah. Um. So the city council are like, it's on public it's on city council land we're mm-hmm. going to paint over it um you can't just be graffitiing everywhere mm-hmm. um but mr kaz is like we should save this art it's good art maybe we should try and save it and mm-hmm. preserve this art in some way which leads julia to believe that he is the artist mm-hmm. and that he's being like so super precious about his art and doesn't mm-hmm. want to see it painted over and i was just like i really don't think that's what it is julia but okay no i think he's an art teacher <laughs> 
Um, and yeah. An art teacher who maybe put together the fact that a new form of street art started appearing in the area when a new student moved in. Who was, who was expelled for street art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's an adult human who pays attention to things. Yeah. So, plot-wise, the rest of the book is kind of Julia and YP deciding how they're going to keep, how they're going to do this turf war and, like, what moves they're going to make and how Julia is going to get through it and Julia becoming more and more conscious that her moms are supporting her and she and trying to to give her the support that she needs mm-hmm. and are slowly starting to trust her again mm-hmm. after the original expulsion and she is betraying all of that trust one of her moms she calls her mom's man me and me is the softer of the two mm-hmm. in terms of like so she's the good cop she's the good cop so like ma sets down the rules and me does enforce them but also is like oh maybe you can have a little bit of oh we said no desserts but here's a cookie yeah <laughs> kind of um kind of thing when julia first has to go to the mainstream mainstream school she gives her a new pair of doc martens mm-hmm. in bright yellow because yellow is her favorite color and she's like don't tell ma about this because like i'm not rewarding you for your bad behavior but i know going to a mainstream school is going to be really hard so here's something to help you like get through it a little mm-hmm. bit and julia's like oh you're so good and nice to me thank you um and like they do at all times they are supportive of her mm-hmm. they are watchful of her particularly at the start and particularly like when when um street art starts going up again mm-hmm. they don't straight up be like we think this is you um but they are like you'll tell us if you're doing something like mm-hmm. you've been expelled from your school mm-hmm. what's going on at one point she has a fight with a teacher and i believe that the teacher was wrong okay but they, one of her, uh, Ma is herself a teacher and mm-hmm. always takes the teacher's side, according to Julia. And I'm like, in this case, Julia, I believe that the teacher was wrong. I read the interaction and I think that you were in the right, but I would not be surprised if you were more often in the wrong. Yeah, yeah. And that can become the thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, and they are very supportive of her and they buy her all the art stuff that, that she wants for other things. Um... Me works in an office somewhere. She gets all the permits and everything in order so that Julia can put her art on that wall. Hmm. And like that's her Christmas presents is is that she can legally put her art up on this wall. Mm-hmm. But by that point, stuff has happened and Julia is sinking into like not a good place. Stuff's mm-hmm. happened, gone down with like Jordan. A little bit of stuff happens with um, YP. And she's just, like, completely isolating herself. She isolates herself from Casey as well. Um, And she's just like, I've been doing this illegal stuff and my moms have been super supportive of me and that me went out of her way in order to get me this legal wall and all I've been doing is sneaking around and trying to settle this turf war that has varying degrees of, like, importance and I'm not being the daughter that they think I'm being and the lying and everything, like, really gets to her. Mm -hmm. And YP is, like, super pushing that, like, she keep going with this because YP is the other street artist. Oh, interesting. Mm. Interesting. Um, And that is part of why, like, the tags have been able to go up so fast is yeah. because like YP knew that she was going to tag 
the underpass. Yeah. And so she was like ready for it. So is YP um, was YP already a street artist? YP was already a street artist. YP had given it up after being like properly busted by the police mm-hmm. but when she saw julia's stuff go up she was like really inspired mm-hmm. and so like brought it back up again um but julia feels like super betrayed because mm-hmm. she's like hey i let you into this thing in my life and instead of telling me that you were also a, a part of it you snuck around behind my back and tried to one-up me and stuff and what's go- what's up with that mm-hmm. We don't really get YP's point of view from it, but YP is kind of like, well, I thought that we were, like, doing this in a friendship way, which is why she was also like, why does it have to be a war? Why mm-hmm. can't it be more of a collaboration? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so when she finds that out about YP, she kind of, like, distances herself from YP a bit. And later they do make up, and they do some illegal street art together, and then mm-hmm. they decide that they're going to go straight, and they decorate, they do um, the wall for, for me together mm-hmm. as well. But that's how... That's how Julia learns, like, the tricks about, like, wearing the face mask ah, and stuff cool. like that. Like, she'd learned other stuff herself. Like, she, mm-hmm. after her first time doing the wall at the school, she's like, I gotta wear gloves. Mm-hmm. Um, I gotta make sure I don't have paint on me. And all. like, she learns tricks along the way herself. But she goes into the whole thing, like, super overconfident. Whereas um, YP is a little bit more experienced because she has been caught before. And so she's like, I gotta make sure that... I do it all the best way possible. Like, I would say that it was a teenage thing, but I fully do this all the time as an adult human being where, like, you're getting involved with a new activity and there's, like, here are the guidelines for how to best do it. And you're, like, guidelines. You don't know what you don't know. (laughs) And then you do it without following the guidelines and then slowly over time you're, like... Oh, hey, I've realized that it's easier if you rely on the expertise of people who've been doing this thing way longer than yeah. you have. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of the book. YP is super cool. I can't, for the life of me, remember her given name and it's mentioned once. I want to say it's like Melissa. For some I don't reason. Know. For some reason, I was, like, really hoping for a romance in this. And I'm a little bit let down that there no, isn't one. there isn't. Like, the Donovan thing is the closest thing you get to a romance. And that fizzles out pretty quick. And to be honest, the accumulation of that is, like, a lot of self-destructive behavior on, on Julia's part. Where she is like, all right, you want to cheat on Jordan? Let's shift in the back of my car. And then she, like takes a photo of them doing it and sends it to Jordan and is like, your boyfriend is terrible. But that's not how Jordan's gonna interpret that. No, it's not. And Jordan is like, why would you do that? Like, yeah. you you catfished him, essentially. Yeah. And Julia's like, I showed you who he really is. Um, and a lot of her thing is, like, that people are all hiding who they really are, mm-hmm. which is why it, like, hits home to her so hard where she's like, I'm hiding who I am mm-hmm. from my parents and like also YP was hiding who she was yeah YP was hiding who she was and then YP's storyline is really interesting as well because she's got her own backstory Mm -hmm. um she used to be like this overweight quiet artsy kid Mm -hmm. and then over a period of a and that's how she met um Kyle Mm -hmm. KFS and they after over a period of about a year she lost a lot of weight mm-hmm. in an unhealthy manner mm-hmm. um, and 
in order to be friends with people essentially Mm -hmm. and she joined the cheer squad and like she didn't she joined the cheer squad in order to have friends as Mm -hmm. opposed to for popularity in order to have friends and be popular as opposed to like because she likes cheer Mm -hmm. and now that now that she's put back on the weight that she lost um she's no longer like on the cheer squad and none of those girls will talk to her anymore and she blames it all on being fast Mm. and um her boyfriend like broke up with her and Julia's like he's an asshole for breaking up with you because of your weight and stuff like this um but it turns out that that YP was anorexic and she went for treatment and as part of that treatment she put on weight again yeah and the reason that Kyle doesn't want to date her is because he's like I'm a kid I was with her while she was like while she was sick and I encouraged her to get treatment and I like brought the issue up to her dad and I made sure that like she got better mm-hmm. and now I'm done mm-hmm. I can't I don't want to that's not the like, and I'm kind of like that's fair I support that you I, have to that, you have to mind yourself as well mm-hmm. um and I don't think he's like I don't want to be friends with her or not talk to her because she's fat I it's just too much for me yeah um and there is a thing where like because of Julianne YP's like fight and distancing of each other like YP falls back on old habits in a mm-hmm. number of ways and Kyle like comes to Julia and is like you're being an asshole what did you do to YP yeah like and that's how Julia gets like his side of the story yeah. and for about half the book I honestly thought she had had an un- unplanned pregnancy um oh. because she was like because she's like oh I used to be skinny and he said when I came back that like we could be together and stuff and I yeah. really thought that like she had had an unplanned pregnancy had put the baby up for it like got away to have the baby come mm-hmm. back and couldn't shift the baby weight mm-hmm. and that was honestly what I thought her backstory was going to be or that she just had a baby at home like yeah that's yeah. really what I thought it was going to be but it turned out it was an eating disorder yeah okay but I, I i was really i was like i was like ah i'm, I'm waiting for this baby reveal oh. and i was like oh no wait it's not a baby kira just loves <laughs> a book where someone has like an after school special <laughs> life problem with like a capital p yeah um, not that a, not that a baby is a problem just that in YA literature it's often a very special episode feature yeah um that's kind of the the main storyline and everything i don't want to like there's a couple of other side plots but i don't want to give the whole story away yeah because i think it is a book that's very worth reading um particularly if you are a hearing person and want to learn more about the deaf community without bothering a deaf person yeah um it's a good idea yp in particular um is both very good and a complete cuts at Mm -hmm. various points Mm -hmm. um because she is a hearing person who is for the first time learning about deafness and sign language her very first interaction with julia is her just signing the words friends family love um and julia's like why (laughs) and casey is like give her a chance she's trying to be like nice and your friend and julia's just like she learned three words that's that's weird yeah Um, and also that's a weird three words to learn yeah um throughout she does they text quite a bit back Mm -hmm. and forth at the start but even julia is like Julia's like, oh, I've seen this before where, like, a hearing person will come along and be all interested and they'll learn, like, five words and then lose, learn, realize that sign language is its own language Mm -hmm. and that, like, 
it's more than just learning a couple of sentences Mm -hmm. and will then just like lose interest and drift away Mm -hmm. and so she initially doesn't put much stock in yp but yp like full-on learn sign and by the end of it like they don't have to like do as much text messaging to each other and they're like signing like almost not fluently julia says that it's like she signs with an accent because she has the hand motions right but she doesn't do the facial expressions that Mm -hmm. go with it because all sign languages as far as i'm aware which my awareness does only extend to irish sign language and american sign language but a lot of them are based on each other and Mm -hmm. then have have regional differences and Mm -hmm. different things like this like irish sign language and english sign languages count differently and Mm -hmm. different things I mean, British um, Sign Language is an entirely unrelated language to Irish Sign Language. That is true. Um, American Sign Language and Irish Sign Language and French Sign Language are related cousins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then uh, British Sign Language is its own its own baby. Uh, the grammar is, like, not really a thing in sign language. In Irish Sign Language, I know, for example, the way you... Irish Sign Language is, um, I think it's really neat because you do most of it one-handed if not all of it, which means you can FaceTime someone. I've seen people before on public transport, like (laughs) having a conversation (laughs) over the phone in sign. But uh, I was, I think I was on a date with someone who's doing her thesis on something in sign language. And she was telling me how in Irish sign language, a lot of the grammar is in facial expression. So like, you know, John and do you know, John? The difference is just like your eyebrows. Yeah, that's that's what I was getting at. Like, the 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 signs themselves don't actually have grammar, and mm-hmm. the context for what you're saying is a lot in your face mm-hmm. and your body language. So, like, I am I'm trying to think of a sentence that's like vaguely neutral but changes, but based on the it's kind of like where you put the emphasis on a sentence. I didn't know you stole money. Yeah. I didn't know you stole money. Yeah, yeah. it's like that. Um, where I didn't you know you stole money. money. <laughs> yeah. I knew you stole glasses. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you stole hats, but I didn't know you stole money. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's kind of like that. So so Julia says that like YP signs with an accent, but even by the end of the book, she is like starting to get the facial expressions and stuff. And that's kind of cool. All the same, it is really impressive to learn an entire new language from scratch over the course of less than one academic year whilst also dealing with the pressures of the American high school education (laughs) system, which, as I understand, are inhumane. I mean, I believe every education system is inhumane. Does she even have formal training or? I don't believe so. I think she's learning. I don't know. YouTube. A lot. You can learn a lot of ASL from YouTube. Yeah. Um. But she like she picks up signs from Julia as well, like where she'll finger spell something and then Julia will give her the sign. Mm-hmm. So like there's a bit of of both in it. But like even though like she is really good at some things, she also falls down on others. Where like before even seeing any of Julia's art, YP is like, oh, I bet you're like an amazing artist. And Julia's like, why? And she's like, well, deprived of one sense, your visual sense must be like so much better and she's like I'm not that's no that's not how it works my deafness is not an inspiration that caused me to be better at other yeah things in that way on the topic of finger spelling though does Casey ever get her name Casey does get a name and it is a C in a heart shape over your heart 
oh, that's very wholesome. It is very wholesome. That is very much like a, a teen gave me this. <laughs> um, <laughs> is Casey a nice white lady? Casey is such an absolute sweetheart and does not, in my opinion, deserve the hate that she gets from Julia. But also, like, she is really, really sweet and she's working under difficult circumstances. Can you imagine having to be an interpreter or translator for a teenager in school? So you have to interpret technical stuff that you didn't study for years. Yeah. Um, and also the drama between teenagers. <laughs> so, so Casey also, like, kind of a little bit fancies Mr. Kaz. Mm-hmm. And she studies up all of her, like, art words mm-hmm. at some point. Um, so, like the first art class they have she's like fingerspelling different mm-hmm. terms and stuff and the next one she knows the words and she's like I got this um, but she, in other subjects she's like she never bothers to learn like the technical math terms for like algebra and yeah. stuff because like neither of them care about it that mm, but surely Julia would know the terms because she went to an all deaf school but yeah like they it, it it's okay I feel like fingerspelling must be more time consuming fingerspelling yeah. is more time it's like it's like verbally spelling things. Like, yeah, so... It, it is It is harder, and also then you have to, like, put the word together, and I, as a dyslexic, am not capable of putting a word together mm-hmm. if a word has more than four letters in it. And even then, I sometimes... If you just give me the letters, I'm like, I can't put those. I can't even... Sometimes if you just spell out a word, if it has... If you do more than three letters at a time, I can't write them down. You can't spell my name which is four letters long so i'll believe that yeah sometimes i get your name wrong but that i'm very apologetic <laughs> you're okay um, but yeah no so tell me highlights low lights weird little side lights um nothing really stuck with you from this n- book you were saying yeah i said at the start nothing mm, in terms of things that i did like i really liked the relationship between julia and yp i liked it felt very natural like it felt a little bit like yp was like hey let's be friends let's be friends let's Mm -hmm. be friends and julia was fine this person is pestering me so i will let her be my friend Mm -hmm. but it was also organic we're also going to get that dynamic actually when i tell you about fangirl in two weeks (laughs) but it also did feel like organic and like that they were two people who would be friends Mm -hmm. um even though they are on the surface very different and like part of the reason that julia is like i don't really want to be friends with this person is because she thinks that yp is like a bit of an act in Mm -hmm. that she's super friendly and super bubbly and she's like this gorgeous white girl with long blonde hair Mm -hmm. and like super pretty and just wants to like bubble her way into like these popular friendships and Mm -hmm. stuff and she later is like yeah she is all of those things but it's not superficial she is just a genuinely lovely person. <laughs> <laughs> Local teen is actually nice. Friendship is really nice. And I like that at the end of it, both of them are like, y- YP is like, hey, maybe I should have been more open about like my situation. Um, and Julia's like, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have like cut you out so so hard mm-hmm. and they bond and they become better friends for it. And they realize and part of why Julia is able to see that her friendship with Jordan was like one-sided and not a good friendship is because she's like I have an actual friend in YP and is able to be like this is what a healthy relationship is that's always great to figure out yeah (laughs) um side note I'm gonna say I really liked that there was queer representation that wasn't like a main part of the book I loved it um 
I did a little squeal. I always do a little squeal every time the queers appear. The only time it becomes like a plot point in any way is that um, Julia has... Julia is not great at English, predominantly mm-hmm. because she doesn't care about it. Mm-hmm. She doesn't really not- care much about any of her subjects outside of art. Okay, I was going to say, is she not great at English as a language or just not as a subject? As a subject. Okay. Um, And also because she struggles with the grammar of it predominantly because that's not part of her first language mm-hmm. and she eventually gets um moved down from english like higher level to ordinary no level. english at an ordinary level to english as a second language oh okay. and her teacher is an asshole mm-hmm. her teacher is not good he mm-hmm. um he gets her to write a paragraph to see like her standard of English. Um, and she and he asks her to write about um, someone who inspires her. So mm-hmm. she decides to write about her mom's because mm-hmm. she's like, oh, if I write about <laughs> the police are all looking for a graffiti artist. So if I write about a graffiti artist or an artist that inspires me, that would be like a whoo red mm-hmm. light. So the next people who inspire me are my mom's. Mm-hmm. So I'll write about them. And her teacher, like, takes it off her and is, like, crossing out moms and putting down mom mm-hmm. and, like, correcting the plural language and different things. And she's like, whoa, 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 I have two moms. Mm-hmm. That's why I wrote two moms. Mm-hmm. And he, like, almost doesn't acknowledge her at all and, like, talks directly to Casey mm-hmm. and is like, I don't understand why she's here. She can't speak. Why am I teaching her English? This is... And, like, he is, like, a proper... Like the worst. He yeah. is the worst. Sounds like a um, shithead. It it does remind me of a much more wholesome and fun anecdote where my mother, when she was in primary school, so quite young, had to do an Irish assignment, what I did on my weekend, and she wrote about how her mother had built some cupboards and painted them, and the teacher was like, I'm not sure if you know what verb you're meant to use, or do you have the noun wrong? what did your mother do? And she was like, my my mother built some cupboards <laughs> and she painted them for, for the house. <laughs> and this poor primary school teacher was like, okay. And I love the women in my family. Um, yeah, it's great. Um, that teacher sounds awful though. Yeah. So she has... I think my moms are the most influential people in my life right now. They are good role models because even when they don't get along, they still love each other. Um, they, they are good role models because even when they don't get along, they still love together. They had to overcome a lot because one, they are deaf and two, they are together. Um, can you tell her to stop? I'm going to help her. Casey tells me to stop, then explains that Teach can talk directly to me. I'm not sure he gets us. So, he takes out a red pen from his pocket and starts marking up my unfinished answer. This isn't too bad. Here. And he starts crossing things out and he's like, I think my mom's crossed out. Mom, R crossed out, is the most influential people crossed out person. Hey, I wave at him to stop. I have two moms. Oh, really? He raises his brushy eyebrows at Casey. Really? We both sign say at the same time. Casey smiles at me. I'm a stonewall. But, like, he totally loses it shortly after that. Mm -hmm. Um, And Casey loses it back at him. Yeah. And then she quits. 
Because she's like, I have never done, I've never lost my temper like that before. You have, basically, she's like, your attitude towards me has, like, totally ruined who I am. And I have been corrupted by, like, not, she's not as direct as this, but she's yeah. essentially like, I have let you get under my skin and I've taken it out on a on a teacher. Um, I'm supposed to be, I'm supposed to be working for the first time in the career that I have dedicated myself to working in and I couldn't manage it for like six months. Mm-hmm. How am I supposed to do this forever? And I've completely lost it and clearly this isn't what I'm supposed to be doing. So mm-hmm. she quits. Um, and part of, part of Julia's like making it up to her and like apologizing is when she gives Casey a sign name. Okay. Oof. 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 I wouldn't really blame the kid you're working with. Like, she doesn't blame her directly, but she is like, this was... This was out of character for me and I need to... This was out of character for me and I need to, like, reflect as to why and it's partly because I have allowed you and your behaviour towards me to affect me in this way. Yeah, and, like she isn't like this is entirely your fault. She's like it's my fault for reacting the way I did, and I shouldn't have reacted the way I did. But I reacted the way I did because of your behavior. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of the book. Um, it sounds really interesting. And yeah, like you said, a really good introduction to deaf community dynamics for people who yeah. wouldn't know. Anyone else you'd recommend read it? Everyone. It yeah. is. It is a good fun book. And I know I had, like, some complaints about, like, there not being a lot that, like, stuck with me that I think will, like, carry forward. But uh, as I'm telling you about it, I'm like, oh, there was more in it that I'm giving credit for. Um, so maybe in, maybe in, like, two months' time I'll be referencing this in relation to another book in the same way that I reference all the other books. Sometimes a book just doesn't meet you at the right time in your life. That's true. But, like, there... I'm, at some point I'm going to do The Raging Quiet, which is another book that features sign language quite heavily. Um, and that book came to me at a point in my life and inspired me to learn Irish sign language. And I, I say this with a lot of clauses. I do not know Irish sign language, but it did like inspire me to become very interested in it. And mm-hmm. it did inspire me to attempt to learn. You considered um, it as a career at one point. I did consider interpreting as a career at one point. Yeah. Um, and I didn't because uh, I am dyslexic yeah. and I and I am not good at second languages. So Fair enough. I did not think that I would be capable of interpreting in my second language. That is that is fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed hearing about this book. Is The Raging Quiet Irish? English. Because uh, I would be really interested if any of you listeners know finding an Irish book that features ISR. Irish sign language and the deaf community. Um, the Raging Quiet is also set in like the early 1800s before sign language was like actually like a fully a thing. And yeah. the main character who develops sign language and talks in order to talk to um, a deaf uh, man that she meets is accused of witchcraft. I think I may have read this book, <laughs> or a similar book. So um, it's not like the perfect representation of deaf culture. <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> Next episode, I'll be talking about Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell, which is the second education-y book that we're doing because it is September and everyone who's still in school is back to school and I hope that's going well for you. 
And after that, I'll be back in a month with a spooky October read. Oh yeah, we're doing spooky October reads, which I am going to love because I'm a spooky person. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to hear from us, follow us on our social medias. And you can also find us on Goodreads to check out what we've read before, what we're reading currently, and what we plan to read in the future. We always yeah. love to hear your feedback. We like to hear recommendations from you. If you really have a recommendation, you strongly want us to cover i recommend donating to us on patreon because we 100% read books suggested by patrons and if you're listening on apple podcasts or any other pod catching platform where you can leave reviews and stars like let us know i really actually want reviews and also it really helps with algorithms so yeah. so that's all from us yeah see you in two weeks bye, bye. i can't believe you just did a peace sign this is an audio me Okay, I'll